0: Thank you very much for the invitation to come and it's nice to be here again and nice to see so many young families and young people. Many of the places I go as people in their 70s and over like myself that I meet and it's great to see so many children and the place so packed with young life here. Um, I've been thinking a lot about uh, what I might say this morning but something sort of keeps coming into my mind and I'll take off my jacket if you don't mind. And um, I'm going to share it with you. And it's something that has challenged me a lot over the last number of years. And I suppose basically what it is is in what I would call evangelical circles, which I suspect most of us would call ourselves part of evangelical Christianity. One of the things that people are often asked is Are you saved? or you're born again, or when were you saved, or when were you born again. And it's very easy for us to get the idea that that's the whole thing about that God wants us to do. But the really important part that I want to stress today is that's only the very, very, very beginning of a journey. And unless the journey proceeds, our experience will be very, very uh, shallow and it won't be a witness to the people around us. That's why I want to speak this morning about the fruit of the Spirit. Now, one of the things I did when I was farming years ago, I used to enjoy breeding sheepdogs. i bred a few sheepdogs and uh, they were, mightn't have been brilliant, but one of my favourite dogs ever was a dog I had, I kept, I called him Badger. And Badger was a brilliant dog, he was absolutely brilliant. I actually sold Badger four times. I used to breed the pups, and I sold Badger four times. First time I sold him, uh, a person in Dublin bought him. I didn't want to sell him to him because he was a pup at the time. And I said, no, these are working dogs. They're not for city. They're not for... No, we're grand. He said, we have a park beside us, and we're going to exercise the dog. We understand that. He'll get plenty of exercise. So this gentleman, he bought Badger from me when he was a pup, and he was nine weeks old or so. And about six months later, he rang me. Because I said to him when he was taking the dog, I said, look, please, please if the dog gets too much for you, ring me and I'll take him back gladly. But six months later he rang me and he said, I'm really sorry, but he said, "Uh, I bought the pup from you and I'm going to have to ask you if you'll find a home for him. And then he told me the whole story. They had a little child, he was a seven-year-old boy, and he was a bit retarded in certain ways, and the doctor recommended that they'd get a little pup for him and to pull him out of himself and give him something to occupy his time but he said the dog has gone too boisterous. He said, for example, he came in yesterday and he pulled the trousers off, him, off the little fella. He said he's, he's beautiful and they love him and the little fella would be distraught to be without him, but he's gone too hardy for him. So I took back the dog and was delighted and he was a big dog, six months old, with absolutely no manners, whatever. I took him out to a field of sheep just to see what he was like and I couldn't get him back. If I had a shotgun, I would have shot him. <laughs> but eventually I got to start training him and he, was brilliant. he turned out to be a brilliant dog and uh, I had another litter of pups and I'd sold the litter of pups but I made a mistake I sold one too many and a man came for his pup one evening and I said I'm really sorry I don't have a pup for you so uh, that was all right I said I want to show you something though and I took badger out in the field and I had sheep in a particular field and I stood at the gate and I sent the dog all around the sheep and made him lie down at one side of the field and brought him up again and rounded up the sheep and did anything he wanted them to do. And it was all just by, by whistling. I remember exactly the, the instructions I gave him <whistles> was come of course and <whistles> was lie down, <whistles> was to go left, <whistles> was to go right. And it's incredible how dogs can get used to those kind of sounds. I trained them with a little biscuit in the kitchen around the table and here and there and getting them to do little things and giving them a little reward you do out to be a fantastic dog I said to the man I said look I said I'm sorry about the Pope I don't have one for you but this is your dog now and I said I couldn't take that dog was too good for me I said no I said it's my fault it's my loss and I said you take the dog and I insisted he took that dog and he took him on and about three months later he rang me he says William he says I'm sorry but any chance you might take the dog back because he was a dairy farmer and he said dog is a brilliant worker brilliant He said, everything I want, but he won't let the milkman take the milk. He he won't let anybody come into the yard. He said, he guards everything around the place, and the milkman's afraid of him. And he said, I'm going to have to ask you to take him back. So I did. And uh, it was was a pleasure to take him back, and I was delighted to have him back. And my own milkman at the time always asked me if I'd sell the dog to him, because he liked him. He was a trainer himself. Now, I wasn't a dog trainer, really. I just trained one or two at home, but... This lad was a real dog trainer he always wanted him and uh, I said no I'm not uh, I'm not selling him again but uh, I was after getting him back from that gentleman I was uh, driving one day in the Land Rover and I had a fellow with me and I stopped at a shop in a tie to get something my wife wanted something in the shop And I ran into the shop and had the window open and he always sat in the driver's seat when I got out and he put his paws up on the steering wheel and he guarded everything. He was like this. But for some unknown reason, when he saw me going into the shop, he jumped through the window and a car hit him on the street. It was awful. The the chap that was with me ran into me. He said, William, the dog has got hit on the road and uh, he's gone running off, barking, and I can't get him back. And we couldn't find Badger for a long time. And coming up near the weekend, this was early in the week, and coming near the weekend, I was so upset, I went to the priest in the town and I went to the ministers in Athai and I said, would you announce this on Sunday morning at your services and at mass? And uh, if anyone has the dog, I'd be delighted to have him back. So these two, I got a phone call and he was out two or three miles from Athai and uh, two ladies lived in the house and they said he's there and come and collect him. He wasn't injured, he was grand. And I remember stopping at the gate and he was lying on the doorstep of the house. I still remember it absolutely the way it happened. It's a visual never leave my mind. When he saw me at the gate, he just jumped and he ran into the garden and he jumped and jumped in circles around the garden, just danced around jumping in circles. He was so excited. And I brought him home and I said, Badger, I'm never going to sell you again ever. But then, of course, I went into ministry and I had to do something with Badger. So I gave him... As a gift to my milkman and he took him off and about three weeks later he rang me William he says I can't find Badger he's gone but he said he'll recognize your whistle if you come and I went we never found Badger so we're not sure if he was stolen or what happened to him but I introduced what I'm going to say with that because I learned some of the secrets of life from animals and one of the things about Badger was Badger was a very 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 badly behaved dog until I got him home and it was only when I spent time with him and it was only when he learned that I was there to help him and to control him that he actually clued in and he tuned in to my instructions and he tried his very best to please me ever after. It's not just a matter of starting a journey and forgetting the instructions. The responsibility we have as Christians is to listen, to listen carefully to the instructions that Jesus has left us in his word. Go am going to read a few verses from Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5 is a a very well-known, there's a very well-known passage of Scripture there. I'm sure you often have read it before, but it uh, draws a contrast for us, a contrast between two kinds of lives we can have. And sometimes I think when people read this chapter, we, we apply it to other people, and we sometimes don't apply it to ourselves. We apply it to people who are, for the want of a better word, outside the pale, But it speaks very strongly, I believe, to those who are in Christ even. And it speaks to me. Every time I read it, it speaks to me. But Galatians chapter 5, and we're reading from, we'll go on down the chapter a bit. We'll read from verse 16. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what's contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They're in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. But if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like, warn you as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who belong to Christ belong to Christ Jesus, have crucified the sinful nature with his passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. It's a great contrast here. And as I said in the little introduction, oftentimes we judge people by how they can make their confession. I trusted the Lord on such a day, at such a time. I came to faith at such a meeting or at such a, a, a gathering. Or a, I, I, I'm a believer for 50 years or whatever. People often, and it often stops there. But you know, when they ask Jesus, how can we know them? How do you know if somebody is living in the spirit? It's very easy for a person to answer, yeah, such a thing happened. I had an experience 20 years ago or five years ago or whatever. But Jesus didn't say that. Jesus didn't ask them what religion they were because there was no different system then. He didn't even ask them, were they religious people who went to the temple and went to the synagogue and all the rest of it. But he just said to them, it's by their fruit you'll know them, by their fruit. And folk, if you think of that seriously, that's an amazing challenge. If we went around today, and if we were wondering about somebody's spiritual welfare, instead of asking them, "Have you uh, sure you sure you've been born again?", if we said to them, instead, uh, "How much is God's Holy Spirit seen through your life? How much are you displaying the fruit of the Spirit through your life every day?" Because that's what Jesus said is the litmus test for those who claim to follow him. So what are those, what is he talking about, the fruit of the Spirit? And it's interesting, not the gifts of the Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit, if we read them in 1 Corinthians, we read about the way they're given to different people, different gifts. This here, the fruit of the Spirit seems to come as a package, as our inheritance right when we follow Jesus and when we open our lives completely to him. And like the dog when we listen to his instruction and it's impossible impossible for us to grow in the spirit unless we take time unless we spend time with our master love joy peace patience goodness kindness gentleness and self-control that's what the apostle says the fruit of the spirit is and as fruit of the spirit It's obvious that what he's saying is that if we have been grafted into the true vine, if we're a branch in that vine, that if we're sucking from the sap of the vine, that these uh, attributes come as evidence of that relationship we have with the vine. The fruit of the Spirit is love. What's love? I suppose... We're limited in English, obviously, because our our language is very limited compared to something like Latin or Greek or whatever else. But if you look at the word love and see it printed on a tabloid newspaper on page three, well, you know the kind of love it's talking about. On the other hand, if you see a big sign love when you see a mother walking from a hospital with her newborn baby, it's a completely different kind of love. Uh, So love, in English, the word is, we're limited in understanding. I think in Greek, if I remember properly, I'm not a Greek scholar at all, but if I remember properly, there are at least four words in Greek, and possibly five, that are translated in English as love. We would know agape and eros as the well-known ones that, that are often talked about, but there are at least four, if not five. And we had a teacher one time, and he was explaining the difference between words to us. And he said, well, this word, and he said one of the words, and he said, this word is a kind of love that you apply, that, that's applied when you're talking about a family relationship love, your sister or, you know, a very close relationship in your family. And then he said the other word, and he said, this is the kind of love you're talking about when you're talking about your relationship with the other fellow's sister. So we all knew exactly what he meant, of course. A very different kind of meaning. But here in Galatians chapter 5, I think the word love is love in its totality, in its pure sense. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Love for who? Love for people. Love for God. Love for people even who are almost unlovable. It doesn't have to be a romantic love, but it's a love that shows concern and shows our wanting them to enter into the best that God has for them. And to reach their potential in every way. That's the kind of, I think, what the Apostle is talking about when he says the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy. Joy, peace. Somebody said joy is peace dancing and peace is joy resting. Sort of a nice little, little definition. But uh, it's an amazing thing to see somebody coming from a position of, not knowing peace to coming into a position where they actually have experienced the peace of God. That peace of God, the apostle says, is a peace which transcends human understanding. That's amazing. Beyond our understanding what happens. I remember this came very real to me uh, many years ago when I was, a, I was a curate in Carrickfergus in County Antrim for a few years. And the rector of the parish asked me to go and visit uh, a a gentleman who was very ill at home in his own house. And uh, this was regular stuff. We were visiting people all the time. But this particular man, he lived uh, between Carrick and and Belfast. So I went to see him, and uh, he was confined to his room, to his kitchen, or one room. He was able to get out of bed, but he was confined to a room for the rest of the day. He was a man at the time in his late 50s only. and uh, he had a very serious uh, heart problem a few years before that they offered him a heart transplant but he didn't accept it and then he said he would have it now but he said they said he was too old in fact he may have been in his early 60s and they wouldn't give him one but he, he couldn't even leave his room he was so delicate and his heart was in such a state but i built up a relationship with this man we'll call him bill just for the want of a better word and uh, Bill and myself became fairly well acquainted with each other he wasn't a church man at all but eventually in the course of time conversation came around to faith and uh, did he know God's peace with him etc etc and uh, he he was very concerned and one day in his little room he made a commitment of his life to Jesus and it was nice and then I continued visiting And and the weeks went by and I had this strange feeling that there was some blockage there. There was something he didn't seem to have experienced the peace that I thought he he might experience having made that decision to come to Christ. And I remember the day I sat down beside him on a couch and I turned to Bill and I said, Bill, do you mind if I ask a question? I said, he said, no, ask me. He said, Is there something that you're not telling me about your life?" And Bill started to cry. And then he began to pull himself together and he says, there is, he says. You might remember, he told me, that uh, a number of years ago a direction was given, an instruction was given to a paramilitary organisation to burn the Roman Catholics out of a certain area in Belfast. I was the one that gave that instruction, he said. I was leader of that paramilitary organization. I was sitting beside the equivalent of the leader of the IRA, and he'd made his commitment to Christ, and he says, my problem is, it was the biggest mistake I ever made in my life, and I don't think God can forgive me. That was holding back his peace. I was able to assure him that if he was genuinely sorry, And if he was genuinely repenting of what he did, that God's promise is that he can have forgiveness and peace. And there's something else I've learned, and that is that oftentimes when we talk about peace, it's often blocked by a lack of forgiveness. When we have something in, in a relationship with somebody, some blockage that perhaps there's a lack of forgiveness, or there's a blockage that, that hinders that relationship, whether it's a neighbor or a business partner, or whatever it is, even in a family. Another thing that can block forgiveness is, like what poor Bill was like, an unwillingness to forgive ourselves or a difficulty forgiving ourselves. And sometimes we look back and we, we feel guilty all the time for something we've done or something we've said or whatever it might be. And oftentimes that haunts us. And we need to come to the realization that when God forgives, he wants us to forgive as well. And if you're here today and if there's something that bothers you, God wants you to know that your inheritance, if you're in him, is to know his peace. The peace of God, which is past human understanding. Love, joy, peace, patience. Patience. Difficult sometimes, isn't it? Do you know, I'd love to be here this morning and say to you, I'm actually brilliant at keeping all these things. I'd love to be able to say that. I stumble and fall. And there's lots of times I have to come back to God and say, God, look, I'm really sorry. There's lots of times I have to go to people and say, I made a mistake there. I'm sorry. Can you forgive me? I've often had to do that. But the the great thing is that when one learns that that's the thing to do, then you can experience the peace that God has for us. Sometimes you lose your patience. (laughs) That's a difficult one. God wants to give us the energy. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit to give us the energy in our lives, to be able to live as Paul describes God wants us to live, displaying the fruit of the Spirit. That's what the world looks at love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. I've had problems with most of those, and I've often had to come to God. And I've often had to say, God, I'm sorry. As we sit here this morning, I'm not sure how you feel. What about your own walk with God? Is it something that you rely on from something that happened years ago? Is that what gives you confidence? Or is your confidence in a God who's close by? Somebody who says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Somebody who says that uh, no matter what happens, if you confess your sins, I am faithful and just and will forgive your sins. And will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's a wonderful promise. That's a wonderful promise of God. I jotted down a couple of small things that uh, I was going to say, but time is running out, so I won't say, I'll say them very briefly. One of the great things that Jesus said to us as well about, uh, and he he said to his disciples not long before he died, John 14, in fact, it's in John 14, where he was speaking to his disciples and he said to them, peace I leave with you my peace I give to you not as the world gives do I give to you do not let your hearts be troubled neither let them be afraid what this verse speaks to me about is that there's a huge difference between the peace the world gives and the peace that Jesus wants to give us God the Holy Spirit wants us to give us and I I often thought about this and I've often spoken about it i I might not be right but i suspect that the peace the world gives the kind of peace jesus is talking about if we brought it up to everyday situation might be somebody whose bank account is very very slack somebody who perhaps has had bad news from the doctor and has gone off for tests and somebody maybe who's worried about their family they're not at peace they're worried and if i said to that those people what would give you peace and one might say well i My biggest problem at the moment is the old bank and and, and they're coming at me. I borrowed too much money. Somebody else might say, well, I was at the doctor yesterday and he's sending me off for tests or she's sending me off for tests, whichever it is. And I'm really worried. And if I had that sorted out, I'd I'd be grand. That would give me peace. But you know what that is? That's the peace the world gives. God wants us to have peace even when those things happen. Even when the world turns upside down for us, even when the family goes wrong, even when the bank account is nil or minus or whatever, when we don't see our way out, God wants us to have peace. Because I know that because He was speaking here to His disciples before He left. He knew many of them were going to be stoned, they were going to be chased, they were going to be crucified, they were going to suffer many of them are going to be killed he knew that but he was saying to them i want to give you peace not as the world gives do not let your hearts be troubled neither let them be afraid there was a phrase i heard years ago which i didn't believe i didn't actually think it was a good phrase but the more i think about it the more i think it probably is a good phrase one of our teachers, when I was studying, told us this in college. Become what you are. A theologian said that one time, that God's call to his followers is to become what you are. And I thought, how can you become it if you're not there already? I mean, how can, if you are, why do you have to become it? But there's two aspects to this. In Christ, we have been redeemed. But we're not always walking in that freedom of that redemption that he's won for us. But what God wants us is to practice. Practice believing. Practice accepting his word. Practice listening like the dog. Practice knowing that he he knows best for us. And when we're willing to put his word first and take him at his word, and know that even Romans 8:28, when it says, all things work together for the good of those who are in Christ Jesus. When we can let that sink in and become part of our very being, then when horrible things happen, we'll be able to trust God. Because he has a plan for us, even in the bad times. So folks, that's all I want to say. I hope that God will help each one of us. To grow. To continuously be growing. To continuously be learning. And when we stumble to get up again. And when somebody else stumbles to help the weak. Because the Bible makes great provision for that. It doesn't say we're going to be perfect in this life at all. It tells us we're going to stumble and fall. And Paul says himself that he hasn't already attained. But he presses forward. We all make mistakes. But we can know. That peace of God which passes understanding. Will we have a little prayer? Father, we thank you today for your love. And we want to thank you for Jesus who was willing to come down and to take our place, to take the punishment that we deserved, so that we could go free. What a wonderful privilege we have. We don't have to pay one cent for our freedom. We don't have to pay one cent for the peace that God has offered to us, for what he has won for us on Calvary. We just have to learn to be obedient and to walk with him and to trust him, to learn to swim against the tide, to learn that we can walk in the dark knowing that he is our light. I think we'll just spend a moment in quietness as we Consider our own relationship with God. Having a deeper look into our own lives. Just let's bring ourselves to him in quietness again. And God, we pray that as people look at us, that the signs of people who have been with Jesus will be seen through the way we live. Amen.